I realized that if I wanted to be able to write the volume of books that I want to get out there while still having a, a very active day job, I had to get faster. Greetings and welcome to The Author Biz, the show that's all about the business of being an author. I'm your host, Stephen Campbell, and this is episode number 51. Wherever you are, however you listen, thanks for spending some of your time with me today. Would you like to write faster or would you like to write better? My guest today is Chris Fox. Chris was a guest all the way back on episode number 34 of The Author Biz, and you may remember from that he's an app developer at a Silicon Valley startup company, and Chris writes around his very active day job. While he's working at the day job, he's always on the lookout for ways to add efficiency to his work habits and to the code that he writes for the company that he works for. But he's also constantly looking for ways to add efficiency to his author business. As an author with limited writing windows, Chris is focused on getting more work done in the time he has to write. So he's trained himself to write faster. As you'll hear in this interview, the first book he wrote took well over a year to write. His most recent manuscript went from start to beta readers in 20 days. So where do you fall on the writing faster, writing better question I raised at the beginning of the show? You want to write faster, or do you want to write better? Well, Chris doesn't believe you have to make that choice, and he'll explain why once we get into the interview. But before we get into that, a couple of quick housekeeping things. First, I'd like to thank a couple of listeners for leaving reviews over the past few weeks. Swopey123 gave the show five stars and said, The business side of being an author has gotten so complicated, it's nice to have someone like Stephen asking knowledgeable questions to make the path a bit less daunting. And Bruce in Portland said, I've learned something new about the publishing business, the writing business, and business in general from every single episode of this podcast that I've listened to. Stephen knows just the right questions to ask, delves deeper when he knows an answer is important, and somehow finds guests who approach this ever-evolving business from every angle. Bruce and Swopey, thank you so much for leaving those reviews. I know it's, it's not easy to leave an iTunes review. That's why I appreciate them so much. Bruce was also kind enough to tweet me to let me know he left the review, so I can tell you a little bit more about him. Remember our show on serialized fiction with Michelle Miller a few weeks ago? Well, Bruce is doing a version of that at his own website, which is brucecantwell.com, with a story he's written called The Last Heartthrob. It's sort of a noirish mystery kind of thing, and I'm really enjoying it. It's an every Thursday thing. I started with maybe the third week, so I got to read the first three chapters quickly, and since then I've been reading them one chapter a week. I'm totally hooked on the story. And he enhances the story on his website by adding discussions of classic movies that tie into the story and other little tidbits uh, that readers like me will find interesting. Bruce, congratulations on some seriously outside-the-box thinking with what you're doing there. I'll have a link to Bruce's site, which again is brucecantwell, C-A-N-T-W-E-L-L dot com, in the show notes. And lastly, there won't be a show next week, so don't be surprised when I'm not here next Monday. I will be back the following Monday, and we've got a number of great guests lined up for you. 
So now let's get on with the interview. Chris, welcome to the Author Biz. Thanks for having me, Stephen. It's a pleasure to have you back again. You're, the first time you were on the show was uh, one of our more popular episodes where you got into some of the nitty-gritty details of your publishing business and things like keyword changes and things like that that, that really inspired a lot of interest. So it's a, it's a treat to have you back. Yeah, like I said, happy to be here. I, I love discussing this stuff. So let's get right into us. Can you tell us one specific thing that, that you do that, that has been maybe the biggest contributor to your success so far with your author business? Oh, that's a great question. I would say probably the most important first step is making sure that you have uh, a polished product. So the number one thing that I see people struggle with is because capital is an issue, um, they kind of skimp on the the cover, um, on on the blurb, on uh, the production value and the editing of the book they're putting out there. And and you really are judged uh, by the cover of your book, by the first couple of chapters, and by the description. So spending a lot of time getting those absolutely perfect has really helped my success. And it, it's not just time, it, it's time, and as you mentioned, capital. Um, what, what do you think is, just ballparking this, what do you think the, the bare minimum is for someone that's written a full-length novel for uh, decent quality editing and a nice cover? You can cut corners, but really, if you can come up with it, $1,000 is what it's going to take to get some good editing and a great cover. Okay. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty good answer. The last time we spoke, you were kind of hip deep in the finishing process of your second book, which was No Mere Zombie. You have since transitioned. You've you've published a second book, so you've got two zombie books out now, plus a prequel. But now you've you've just published a nonfiction book. So why the why the change of direction? Um, I, I find that I just like like to write, and sometimes that's going to be fiction, sometimes it's going to be nonfiction. So whenever I have a topic that I, I really enjoy, be it uh, a great story or a nonfiction, I, I just find myself writing, and I figured if I'm going to be writing about this stuff anyway, instead of just making a blog post, may as well put it out in book form. Now, when we spoke the first time, you're, you're pretty heavily into metrics and tracking things, and that's why I think you're probably one of the perfect people to write this book, the, the, the new nonfiction book that you've written, 5,000 words per hour. Is, do I have the title right? You do, and, and that's definitely a loaded title. It gets yeah. a, a lot of fact for people. <laughs> well, I, I went out and uh, did a typing test this morning. I'm a pretty good typist, so I went out and did a typing test this morning, and I did, I think it was called typingtest.com, and I hit 92 words a minute. Nice. So I, I'm, I'm doing the math, and I know that I can't possibly type that fast, but I know you go into some techniques on improving speed and things like that, as well as using some technology to bump that up. And we'll get into that. When you started writing, did you have a baseline typing speed that you were able to achieve? Not, not a writing speed, but a typing speed? Um, I, I did. So I would average around 60 words a minute or so when I was typing fiction. Okay. And so you, you've had to grow quite a bit to, to hit, the, hit the benchmarks you're talking about in the title to this book. Yeah, it definitely wasn't easy, and it, it took a, a lot of thinking outside the box to to sort of cultivate the techniques necessary to write that fast. And and one of the reasons that writing fast is important to you is that you've got a full-time job in the technology business. So it, it's not like you're working part-time and writing around that. You've got a 
technology startup job, so you're probably working 60 hours a week at that and writing around that. So how, how does all that work for you? I have a very narrow window of time during which I can write, and that's on the bus on the way to work and on the way uh, home from work. So um, I conduct writing sprints where I'll time the writing that I'm doing um, for set intervals on the bus. And if I don't get the writing goal hit for that day while I'm on my bus ride, there really is no other time to do it. So it's sort of um, necessity being the mother of invention. I have to find a way to make this work. So you're sort of uh, like Mark Dawson writes on the train. You write on the bus. I do, and it works extremely well. So it's interesting looking around the bus, and I see all these other people. Some of them are sleeping. Um, you know, some of them are, are reading news sites or, or maybe listening to music. Uh, I feel like that you you can do something productive with that time, especially if it's something you really enjoy. So I'm one of the only people that I know that really looks forward to my commute. <laughs> <laughs> and actually accomplishes something with your commute that you enjoy doing. What What is a typical bus length sprint for you? How many words do you get done? So I'll typically do um, 20 or 30-minute sprints, uh, depending on how tired I am that day. I aim for 30. I try and do two 30-minute sprints in the morning and one uh, 20 to 30-minute sprint in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, and a 30-minute sprint at this point is, is typically yielding me uh, about 2,000 words if I'm typing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I will also, while standing at the bus stop, uh, type or excuse me, talk into my voice recorder on my phone, and then uh, you can use drag and dictate later to dump those words into a document. So I'll get uh, probably another thousand words a day from doing that. Yeah, that was an interesting tidbit that you that was in the book that I saw that 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 was really interesting, and we'll get into the book uh, in a little bit. So a typical day for you is you get up and what? Just walk us through the day and just kind of block out the hours where you're at work. Sure. So I wake up in the morning every day at five o'clock, um, like clockwork. I don't need the alarm anymore, which is kind of bizarre. I go immediately to the gym and I work out for almost exactly an hour. And while I'm at the gym, I'm thinking about my day, the things that I want to accomplish. I'm using visualization. Mm-hmm. And I'm also considering um, sort of like a, a movie player in my head, whatever scenes I'm going to write. And so then I get back to the house, I get cleaned up, and then I get on the bus and I write out the scenes that I was considering while at the gym. And what time is this when you're getting on the bus? So I typically get on the bus at about um, 6.45 or so. Okay. And so then you've got, is, is it a half hour bus ride or it does it, in Silicon Valley, I can't even imagine. I've, I've been there at uh, rush hour and it's, it's crazy. It's about an hour and a half. So I'm oh currently living in, in Novato, which is like 40 miles north of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And then it, um, I work in San Francisco, so it'll take me down to the financial district. And, and it is a very, very long commute, but like I said, I love it. <laughs> and then the same thing on the way back. Same thing on the way back. So on the back, it's much more relaxed. Um, what I'll typically do is look at my word count for the day and say, did I hit my goal? How short am I? Um, and then I'll, I'll adjust my sprint length to make sure that I do hit that daily goal. And after that, it's free time. I can read a book. I can listen to podcasts, um, whatever I want to do. Okay. And so the book, you've written the book, Writing Faster. It is, uh, as of this morning, it was a category number one at Amazon. So congratulations to you for that. That is amazing. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm blown away by the reception the book has gotten. So probably um, uh, about a thousand people or so are using it, and almost all of them have told me so far, those that have reached out, it's working. So not everybody's hitting 5,000 words an hour, but everybody has said across the board, it's increasing my writing speed, and more importantly, it's making me more consistent in my writing. If you don't mind, just sort of walk us through, give us a high-level overview of what you're teaching with the book. 
Sure. So the book is very no fluff. It doesn't include a lot about my life. It's just a series of actionable steps. So it starts with the first writing sprint, what I call a micro sprint, Mm -hmm. where you'll spend um, five minutes writing as fast as you can. And and before you do this sprint, the goal is to make sure you've created your own little uh, oasis where you can do creativity without interruption. So you've turned off the internet. um, Maybe you've got some music playing to, to block out noise. You've taken a little bit of time to figure out exactly what it is you're going to write. And then you make a deal with yourself before you start writing that you're not going to go back. So if you make typos, that's fine. Just keep writing. You can tinker with those after you're done. But during your writing sprint, you write all the way through. Okay. And and go on from there. I, there's There's a lot of... As you said, this is a no-fluff book. It's it's just one actionable item after another, basically. Uh, among the many things that you teach in, in doing this, the importance of tracking. Um, this tortoise enclosure, and I love I love the term, the tortoise enclosure, so maybe you could explain that. And now I'm envisioning, envisioning you in your tortoise enclosure on the bus. Because <laughs> <laughs> my tortoise enclosure is on the bus. Um, so the, the term originates from John Cleese. He gave this great um, talk to a university that was recorded and put out there on YouTube about creativity and where he gets his ideas. Uh, and it's hilarious. There's a link to the video in the book. Um, but if, if you haven't picked up the book, you can just search for John Cleese creativity video and you'll find it. It's hilarious. But he really gets into the idea that you need to be uninterrupted because interruptions are catastrophic. So you build your little tortoise enclosure where you know you're not going to get interrupted. Um, And the important thing that he didn't really discuss but that I've gotten into very heavily is the neuroscience of it. So what you were doing effectively is installing a habit in your brain. Um, You're setting it up so your mind knows that at this time, in this place, I am going to write. It expects to do that. So in the same way Um, You know, in the mornings, if you have the same thing for breakfast every day and you're used to that and you'll walk in the kitchen, open the cupboard, get out your oatmeal and do whatever Mm -hmm. it is you do without thinking, Mm -hmm. your brain gets into the same exact habit for writing. It'll do it without thinking. You'll whip out your laptop or whatever you write on and you'll just start writing. You mentioned how catastrophic interruptions can be when you're when you're focused, and in a sprint like this, um, it, it, it's fairly simple to isolate interruptions. But we've all been we've all been hip deep in work, and somebody comes and knocks on the door, or the phone rings, or you get an instant message or something, and then everything that you're working on just goes right out the right out the window. I I know that you are into the science of everything, so is, is there sort of a standard rule in terms? terms of how long it takes to get back to the point where you were when you were interrupted? There's not a standard rule, but there is um, kind of a phenomenon, and that's that the more you do something, the shorter that time becomes, because the habit gets faster and faster and faster. So maybe when you first start trying to sit down and write, it takes you 10 minutes to find that flow state. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you do it for, say, six months at the same time every day, you can get to a point where you can do it in 15 seconds. Okay. All right. Now, another of the things that you've done that's really unique in this book, or as a tie-in with the book, is you've written an iPhone app to go along with it to help readers track their work and see where they're going and track improvement, things like that. So tell us a little bit about the iPhone app and why you decided to do that. Sure. So the the app actually came about before the book, and I created the app for me. I didn't originally envision uh, marketing it or or getting out to anybody else because I didn't think there'd be a need for it. Um, And I wanted a way to track everything that I was doing because I very much believe anything that can be tracked can be improved. If you see today in this time period, I did a thousand words. 
tomorrow I can aim for 1100, but I can only do that if I know that today I hit a thousand words. So I created it as a simple sprint timer. And at the end of the timer, so 20 minutes in, I recorded my girlfriend's voice. Uh, and it says, woohoo, split complete, sprint completed <laughs> when you're finished. Uh, and then you just input the total number of words that you've written. And it's attaching that to a project. So if you're writing, uh, let's say, a novel, it'll tell you at your current speed, it's you know 18 more hours until you finish this novel. And I found that tremendously helpful. So over time, I started adding little things like graphs to show my words per hour over time. Um, and I'm still tinkering and adding more stuff to it. But the bottom line behind the app is this is a great way for you to conduct writing sprints and track all the metrics behind how fast you're writing. And so what's what's been your experience in being an, I know you are an app developer professionally, but this is you, a one-man gang, being an app developer and supporting customers. What's that been like for you? Uh, it's definitely been interesting. Uh, what I found is that not everybody has the latest version of iOS. Quite a, quite a few people are using older devices, and mm-hmm. that's presented some challenges. And they'll reach out to me on Twitter, through email, on Facebook. Uh, and so I'm doing my best to get uh, fixes into the app as quickly as possible. It helps that in my day job, I'm the only iOS developer for the startup that I work at. Oh, okay. So you're used to it. <laughs> yeah. Nor- normally, you have a much bigger team. So mm-hmm. typically, a mobile development team would be you know, three or four people. Um, but at smaller startups, we do the best we can. There's usually only one person in every key role. So uh, I think that's kind of prepared me for this. It's still difficult, um, but I'm getting through it. <laughs> and for people like myself who are not iPhone users, I'm an Android guy, um, there is no app yet. There might be at some point maybe, but you do. Uh, it, there's a link to a spreadsheet that you created. And I'm sort of a spreadsheet geek myself, so I thought, oh, this isn't going to be interesting at all. But I pulled it up and looked at it and thought, eh. And I plugged in, just plugged in a little bit of data, and I'm like, oh, that's really cool. <laughs> Yeah, I use both. So uh, in beta right now for the iOS app, I've created an export feature so it can export your information and you can import it into that spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what I use to track my writing. So it's the combo of the two. I would love to find an Android developer who can do the Android version of the app so that uh, people on that side of the fence can do it as well. Yeah, we'd like to have that. And uh, we'd like to hear your girlfriend's voice telling us that we're done. (laughs) <laughs> I know I certainly enjoy it. So tell, just give, give listeners a high-level overview of the spreadsheet. We'll link to both the spreadsheet and the app in the show notes, but I suspect most people will dig into the spreadsheet first. Sure thing. So the, the spreadsheet is really a, a good high-level view of tracking your, your writing habit. So it looks at how many words did you, you type in this amount of time. So you're putting in the duration of your sprint, the number of words that you typed. Most importantly, though, you're putting in the start time because you want to start figuring out when you write the fastest. So if you write fast in mornings, you're going to start seeing based on the times that you enter in the spreadsheet. If I write at 6 a.m., then I'm cranking out, you know, 4,000 words per hour. But if it's 6 o'clock at night, I'm down to 2,000. And, and that's the, the sheet really in a, in a nutshell. Have you found some particularly great times uh, where you're at your best when writing? For me, it's always in the morning. So I wake up, I feel fresh. Um, I haven't been exhausted by all the stresses of the day. So the morning sprints on the bus are far, far more productive than the one that I do in the evening. Uh, One of the things that I found interesting about this technique that you're teaching is the idea of also tracking words per hour while you're editing. So talk to us about that if you could. 
Sure. I, I think that that's valuable as well, because you have a few different skill sets as a writer. One of them is going to be cranking out your initial prose, and mm-hmm. that is definitely important. But so is editing. You want to make sure that you are editing as a decent clip as well. Um, so the app and the next version that's coming out will allow you to select your sprint type, and you're going to either choose editing, proofreading, or writing, depending on what you're doing. Um, but editing is way, way faster than writing words from scratch. And so I wanted to have a separate words per hour. So for example, my average words per hour is probably about 3,900 um, if I'm writing, but it's closer to uh, 11, uh, excuse me, 11,000 an hour mm-hmm. if I am doing editing, just because, you know, it's way faster to fly through a manuscript and just fix problems. All right. Give us an example of you using these techniques in your own writing, the time it took, that kind of thing, if you would. Sure. I'll use uh, Project Solaris as an example. So this is the most recent manuscript that I created. Mm -hmm. Um, I wrote the initial draft in 13 days, (laughs) and (laughs) that was about an hour a day. So I was hitting 5,000 words a day, and my words per hour average was about 4,400 during that time period. So it was a little over an hour a day. Then for the next uh, week and a half, I edited it, and uh, I did two passes through the novel in that time at about 11,000 words per hour. So that's uh, so we're at about 23 days for you're, you're at the third draft of the novel now. Right. And it's a 70,000 word novel. So it's not the longest that I've written, but it's a good sized novel uh, that I created in, in less than a month. And is this why did you decide to do it this way? Let's let's go all the way back to the beginning. You you started writing. Um, you 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 wrote your first book. Then you started on the second book, and maybe there was an epiphany or something where you said, "Wow, if I'm going to make any money doing this, I need to be able to write books uh, more quickly." Uh, walk us through how that all came together in your mind. Sure. I think a lot of it comes from working in the startup environment because we're very much trained to be as efficient as possible. So I'm always looking for ways to make my life more efficient in general from mm-hmm. working out to uh, to writing. And I realized that if I wanted to be able to write the volume of books that I want to get out there while still having a, a very active day job, I had to get faster. Um, when you have a very narrow window to write, then you've got to make sure you optimize that. And I think this will resonate with a lot of people out there who have kids or work a very stressful job. If you've only got an hour a day, you really want to find a way to maximize that as much as possible. And it feels great when you know that even though you only had an hour, you still managed to crank out you know, 4,600 words that day. What do you say to the people who and, – and- you know there are people that say this, and there are people listening that are going to that are thinking this in their mind. If you're writing that fast, what you're writing is crap. You're not developing yourself as a writer. How, how would you respond to that? I love this question. Um, <laughs> so when people ask this, I, I answer them with neuroscience, uh, and, and I ask them to just think about their own writing. So if you look back over your best work, be it um, fiction or nonfiction, think back to the best scenes that you ever wrote. And when you were writing those scenes, was it the type of scene where it took you four hours and you do a paragraph and you go back and tinker on it and you do another paragraph and you go back and tinker on it? Or more likely, was it you cranked out the entire scene? You knew exactly what you were going to write. You were in the heads of the character and it just came to you. Yes. And when you're all done, you go, holy cow, that only took an hour. (laughs) Right. So the whole goal of this process is to get you in that flow state on command so that Mm -hmm. most of the scenes that you write are your best work. And what I found is by writing faster, my work got better. So according to the beta readers I have, I have a group of about 60 of them um, that went through Project Solaris. They say it's my best novel to date, and it was written far faster than No Such Thing as Werewolves. Compare it to how long did it take you to write the first draft of No Such Thing as Werewolves? 
No such thing as werewolves took me a year and a half. <laughs> that's a slight change from uh, to 13 days. Yeah, and, and I think I, uh, that's something I'd offer up to the audience. If you're at the stage right now where it's taking you a year and a half to write your novel, and we all start there, mm-hmm. um, don't get discouraged because you will eventually get to a point where you're faster and more efficient. But like anything else, when you're learning a skill, it takes a while to get good. So I got really discouraged during different parts where I was writing no such thing as werewolves. I gave up twice where I would take a month or two off and it would take some coaxing from my girlfriend to get me back in there writing. Um, But if you persevere, you will reach a point where you're writing really quickly and you're getting better at your craft. And, And one thing that we all hear is that we do get better as we put more words on the page or on the digital page. I mean, you hear things like uh, half a million words or a million words, whatever that total is for you, the faster you can get there, the better. Yeah, absolutely. So if it is going to be crap for the first million words, and I think that's true for just about everybody, um, the faster you write that that million words, the faster you get to the good stuff. If you spend a year and a half polishing that uh, opening scene, you're not going to get to that million words very quickly. Right. All right. Let's get back to the, the... the issue of speed, and you mentioned Dragon Dictate earlier. I mentioned my typing speed. I probably could get a little bit above 90 words a minute if I, I, I probably do if it's my own stuff instead of what I was typing on the typing test. But still, there's, there's a limit. And you talk about using Dragon Dictate. So explain to us how that works and the skills that we need to develop to be able to do that efficiently. Sure. Um, So 83 words a minute is what you need to hit 5,000 words an hour. And even if you can type 90 words a minute like you do, it's still Mm -hmm. really difficult to sustain that for 60 minutes. Right. Drag and Dictate is a voice dictation program, so you you speak the words that you're going to say. And it it takes some getting used to because you have to speak your punctuation. So um, John went to the store, period, open quotation mark, is the way that you say things. Um, That period of adjustment can be difficult for a lot of people, but the reason why it's worth it is the average human speaks 150 words a minute. So you don't have to train yourself to type faster if you're talking out the words that you're saying. How long did it take you to get comfortable doing this? Because it just feels odd. Uh, It took me a week to get proficient, and it took probably a month to a month and a half to get comfortable where where it felt natural and I could do it without feeling weird. How long did it take to get to the point where you were faster speaking it than, than typing it? I would say by the end of the first week I was at that point. It it still was a little odd. Do you use a microphone? I do. Mm -hmm. And did Dragon Dictate take a little time to be able to recognize your speech? As I understand it, there's some sort of learning functionality that's a part of it. Yes, and this is the hardest part. So it'll give you a bunch of paragraphs to read on the screen, and you'll go through them and read each of the paragraphs so that it can get used to your voice. I recommend spending a lot of time doing that until it gets very, very accurate, especially if you have any sort of accent. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'd also offer this caveat. If you're writing something like fantasy and you have weird character names like I do, Dragon's going to really struggle with those. So typically (laughs) I will change any given odd name, like Irakash being a good example, Mm -hmm. into something like Jason that it will recognize. Okay, and then you just go in and do a quick search and replace to fix those. Exactly. How much time do you have to spend then just editing the dictated text? Or is that just a part of your editing process? Like, I guess the question is, do you go in immediately after speaking the text and fix it? Or do you just do that as a part of the editing process? I do that as a part of the editing process. And for me, the editing process is done in a block. So I will write the entire manuscript from start to finish and not edit any of it. And then I'll get to the end and I'll edit the entire manuscript from start to finish. Do you ever have any 
sections that were done through Dragon where you just don't have any idea what you were trying to say there? It just mangled it up so badly? Occasionally, yes, which, you know, on, on the plus side, I always laugh at that. That's, that will make me laugh, some of the things that it does. They are thankfully rare, but yes, occasionally we're like, I have no idea what this paragraph meant. Okay. Now, there's also a section in the book about plotting, which I think, uh, first off, I thought it was a really nice section on plotting. It, I mean, you can write a series of books on plotting, and, and people have done that. You you took a section and explained things very nicely, but the importance of plotting to trying to write fast is what? If you don't know what you're going to write, I, I think it's really difficult to write quickly. Some days you may have you know creative inspiration and be able to crank out a lot of words, but other days you're just going to sit there and stare at a blank cursor. If you know what you're going to write, if you take the time to plot out your story ahead of time, then you're not going to have any days where you're looking at a blank cursor. Okay, we've talked about a a few of the reasons why we might want to write faster. Um, Limited time, improved skill as a writer. Are there others? Uh, I think that a lot of writers, we have a a billion stories in our head that we want to tell. And the single biggest reason for me to write quickly is so that I can get all those stories out. And you're writing now. Is the Deathless series continuing? Uh, Yeah, fans have asked for more books, and I've had a lot more ideas, so I'm looking at probably nine books. Okay. Oh, wow. (laughs) So that's... (laughs) (laughs) I was going to make a joke about how long that would take, but I'm not going to do that because it'll make me feel bad. (laughs) And uh, is is Solaris uh, the start of a new series? It is. So it's a companion series. It takes place in the same world, and it starts probably a year before the events and No Such Thing as Werewolves. And the last time you and I talked, you were writing some sort of a like a more traditional thriller kind of thing. Is that still on your, on your to-do list? Uh, I failed utterly at that. So, <laughs> so Solaris is the thriller in question. It's a sci-fi thriller set okay. in Silicon Valley. Okay. All right. So uh, th- that's another thing we're learning here today from someone who's in Silicon Valley. Uh, learn, learn that you've failed and move on to the next thing. Right. I, I think everybody uh, in our society tends to look at failure in, in the wrong light. I mean, failure is required in order for you to get better at things. You learn far more from failure than you do oftentimes from success. So if I fail, I just get right back up, dust myself off, learn what I can and move on. And it's so important to learn or to be able to recognize when something's not working. Seth Godin's written a brilliant book on the subject called The Dip. Uh, and and there is, there's this sense in any business endeavor where things kind of turn south a little bit or the momentum dips, and we don't know whether we're failing or this is just the dip that we need to fight through to get to the other side. Um, Was there any of that that you looked at with this writing project that you wound up changing to something else? Yeah, and it came very quickly. So I I found that I wasn't enjoying it. And I think that all of the worst work I've produced over the last several years comes from me trying to force myself to write something I'm not interested in. (laughs) It's good to be able to recognize that. (laughs) All right. you, You wrote a chapter in the book about mindset. And I get a sense from having spoken with you a couple times and and having read some of what you write that mindset's a, a really important quality for you in terms of your business success. So let's talk about that for a little while. Uh, when did you when did you recognize that the way you think about things is really really important? That came about in 2010. I was working um, in a collections job making you know almost nothing that I hated and I was looking for a way out and I picked up uh, a book called Talent is Overrated. 
that sort of turned on a light bulb in my head because what it said is that prodigies aren't good at things because they are born with this innate talent. They just put in a lot of really hard work. And so I started asking myself, well, if I put in a bunch of really hard work, what can I accomplish? And for you to get up day after day after day and put in that hard work, it requires a shift in your mindset. And I went from being a pessimist to being an optimist and saying, you know what, I can do this and I'm going to keep barreling away at it every day. And that shift in mindset was the single greatest contributor to all things good that have come about in my life in the last several years. Now, that sounds easy. I'm, you know, like, I am an optimist by nature, but if I were a pessimist, it's hard to imagine just being able to say, well, today I'm going to be a pessimist or an optimist and having that work. So uh, I'm assuming that wasn't the way it worked for you. How did it actually work, that decision that I'm going to try and be more optimistic? The decision comes about when you realize that things are possible. So we we grow up um, being taught that we can do anything, but right around the time we graduate high school, uh, you're told that you need to get a real job and, and go into real life, and you know that's just not possible anymore, and you have to give up your dreams. I had the realization that maybe my dreams were still possible, and the belief that things are possible is really powerful. The idea that maybe I don't have to do things the way that society says that I should do them. Maybe I can be a writer and make some money doing this. Maybe I can teach myself to make iPhone apps and go from you know a minimum wage job to six figures a year. But there's a big difference between maybe I can and yes, I can. And, and you've worked your way through, I don't think I can, to maybe I can, to not only can I, but I'm kicking ass while I do it and raising my goals each week, seemingly. Uh, discipline begets discipline. So what you need to do is pick an area in your life that you can affect some change. Maybe that's losing weight. Um, maybe that's learning to write. Uh, whatever skill you want to develop, it's got to be one thing that you're focused on. And if you can succeed in that single area, make that one change in your life, change one habit, you'll start to realize, well, I can do it elsewhere as well. But you've got to start small and build. Yeah, you you you. You refer to it as discipline begets discipline, and, and you could also say success begets success. So as you begin to have success in small ways, it's it's easier to envision yourself having success in larger ways. Right. And to get their mindset is critical because if you don't believe it's possible, if you say to yourself, well, why bother trying? I've always failed in the past, so I'm always going to fail in the future. Mm-hmm. You'll talk yourself out of, of taking the, the very difficult actions every day that are going to get you from point A to point B. What else did you do to, to work yourself through this process? Because it, it's one thing to make the decision. It's, it's one thing to work on your mindset. But you need to have uh, some support or a, a support system, whether it be books that you're reading, podcasts that you're listening to, uh, motivational, used to be motivational tapes. Now they're CDs or MP3s or whatever they would be. What did you do to keep yourself up while you were rebuilding this new Chris Fox? I did what Tony Robbins uh, recommends, and, and that's I turned my, my car into a mobile university. So every day during my commute where I would go to my, my dead-end job that I hated, I was listening to every book I could get my hands on about improving my mind, whether it was productivity, things like uh, Getting Things Done is a great book by David Allen, uh, to Mindset, um, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. I always had another book I was trying to get through that would teach me something, you know, Steve Jobs' biography, and those were motivational because I would I would surround myself, even though I didn't know them personally, with all these people Mm -hmm. who had success. And I saw what they they had. I wanted it. And I was hearing from each and every one of them. They all said the same thing, which is anybody can do this if you put in the work. 
So this was 2010. You you started making this change. You were working a job that you didn't really care for. You weren't making much money. Uh, now, five years later, you've published a few books. Uh, you're being interviewed on podcasts all around the world. Uh, you've got a job as a lead developer at a startup in Silicon Valley. Uh, seems to have worked for you. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm very thankful for the level of success that I, I have achieved, but I, I also would say there's nothing special about me except for the fact that I worked harder than just about everybody around me. And if you're willing to do the same thing, you can have very similar results. That is so true. All right. Uh, I mentioned podcasts around the world. One of the things, this is the second time you've been on this podcast, you've been on a number of podcasts. And one of the reasons that you've been on a number of podcasts is that you're really good at pitching yourself and a situation to podcast hosts. A lot of authors don't have that skill or maybe haven't developed it yet. So uh, can you give us some advice on how to approach a a podcast if you'd like to be a guest? Definitely. So to start with, make sure you listen to the podcast. I have some (laughs) friends that have approached podcasts. Let me me just echo that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I get some of the most bizarre pitches that, you know, I've, I've listened to all your podcasts and I see that you do this, which is not at all <laughs> what I do. And uh, so it's like, you know, delete and move on. So, yes, that's an important point. Listen to at least some of the podcast. <laughs> Right. And and when you're listening to this podcast, it has to be a podcast you enjoy. So you need to like the show format. And ideally, you're getting value from that podcast. Mm-hmm. So you listen to these episodes on the author biz, for example, because you know, you're learning things. Uh, for example, I loved Monica Lionel's interview on your show. I got a lot out of that. Um, and if you're listening to a podcast where you're getting that kind of value, you need to then think about how could I offer some value to people listening to this show? And if you can do that, if you have a way to offer value that the people are going to be entertained by or are really going to enjoy, then when you approach the person running that podcast, that's what you lead with. You say, listen, I think your your audience would be very interested in X. The first time I heard you was on uh, Simon Whistler's show. And at that time, I think you'd only written one book. So what what was it within you that decided that you would make a good guest on a podcast like Rocking Self-Publishing, having published one book? <laughs> so I had been in uh, Toastmasters for almost five years at that point and had given maybe, I don't know, 60-some-odd speeches. Um, and when you're in Toastmasters, three or four people will give a speech each tonight, and then the audience will vote on the winner. And I would won probably you know 45 of those contests. So I felt comfortable talking, mm-hmm. and I think that was part of it. But a lot of it was, uh, you know, you, if you don't ask, you'll, you'll never get a yes. Um, about three or four months before I had asked to be on um, Rocking Self-Publishing, Simon's show, my startup had managed to land ourselves on the Colbert Report. Holy and, cow. I didn't, I didn't know that. <laughs> and, and we did it by asking. Uh-huh. Uh, we knew a gentleman that was going to appear on the show, Dr. Eric Topol. He was going to go on there with a bunch of medical devices that he was going to show off. And we said, why don't you bring one of our oscilloscopes? He did it. And the next thing we knew, uh, our device was being used in Stephen Colbert's ear. And that really made a light bulb come on, which is the things that may sound impossible, like being on some large podcasts, uh, are only impossible if you don't try for them. And, and that's a, it's, it's really interesting that you say that. In, in a past life, when I was in the technology business, one of the things that was the most successful for us was we had one person who was dedicated to public relations, and they mm-hmm. were always just pitching ways of tying our technology into a story. And it's just extraordinary the amount of exposure you can get by doing that. 
Yeah, it's kind of surprised me, but you, you really can get in front of, of hundreds of thousands or millions of people that way. And that's how I think a lot of success stories are built. And the other thing is for, for podcast hosts like me or Simon, we need content. We need guests. So if you can if you can craft a nice pitch that makes sense that here's what I can bring to your audience, it's there's a very good chance you're going to be invited on the show. I do want to caution, you, you need to be authentic. So your goal can't be, I want to sell copies of my book, so I need to go do some podcasts. Mm-hmm. It should be a process that you enjoy. How many podcasts have you been on in the past two weeks? Uh, five so far. Okay, and this is from that one batch of pitches? Right. I, I did all the pitches at, at basically the same time. Um, and a lot of them were about the 5,000 words per hour book, but mm-hmm. uh, some of them were a little bit different. One of the podcasts is called the Scrivener Soapbox, which I love. And the guy who runs that is into pen and paper role-playing game, things like Dungeons and Dragons, oh, which okay. is a passion that I share. So that was <laughs> kind of the pitch that I used. <laughs> all right, Chris, where can people buy this book, 5,000 words per hour? It's available on Amazon or iTunes. The app is available on iTunes, so you can just search for 5,000 words per hour, and you should be able to find it. And the spreadsheet is available on your website. It, could you give the exact URL where that is? I know it's chrisfoxwrites.com, but I'm not sure where the uh, – I will link to the spreadsheet, but for people who don't go to the show notes, is it easy to get to? It should be. Um, chrisfoxwrites.com slash 5kwph. Okay. And you've got a lot of other great resources there for writers, some things we focused on in our last interview, but a lot of really good marketing information there. So if people haven't listened to the last interview and you go to Chris's site, you definitely want to check those out. Yeah. Um, I have a page called uh, For Writers. So just click there. You'll see a whole bunch of articles that I hope are, are useful to you. All right. Chris, thanks so much for being here. Is the best way for people to keep up with you to go to your website, sign up for an email list or something? It is. Mm-hmm. Hey, thanks for having me, Stephen. Big thanks to Chris Fox for sharing so much knowledge with us today. I'm totally sold on the value of tracking your writing, finding your best writing time, and generally being as efficient as you can possibly be with your writing business. You can pick up a copy of 5,000 Words Per Hour, Chris's new book at Amazon. Remember, there's no show next week, but we'll be back again in two weeks, and I've got some great guests lined up. Thanks so much for listening today. If you happen to feel motivated to drop by iTunes and leave a rating or a review, I will be forever grateful. If you'd ever like to leave a comment on a specific session, or maybe just leave a question to be answered in a future podcast, you can go to theauthorbiz.com. You'll find all the episodes there and a nice square little comment box where you can leave your thoughts. Again, thanks for your time and attention. I really appreciate it, and I'll talk with you again soon. Take care.